Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our previous interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. Today's May 6, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased to have with us here in the studio Don Deans of Deans Consulting out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Don is a CPA focused on advanced tax strategies for investors. Don, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. It's wonderful to be here. Love to hear that accent, Don. So, Don, uh, you give C. E, uh, presentations for CPAs throughout the country, and I happen to hear you uh, giving a presentation at another conference. You know how to give good presentations, and you know how to identify specific tax issues regarding specific investments and opening the doors to investment returns that very few people know about. So let's begin very briefly here with a brief background of yours. I am. I will be 67 years old next month, folks. That means I'm on Social Security. I'm on Medicare, and I don't know who on the room is. Uh, it's an absolutely uh, wonderful to be able to God. The Lord gave me enough the wonderful gene pool to be able to travel and work and find things. I've been a CPA for 41 years. I've been in the financial service business for over 20 years. Uh, I ran the alternative investment side of a independent broker dealer in North Carolina. Carolina. Uh, we roughly had $100 million in alternative sales at the high. Uh, I started looking at some of the products that were available in the market, and I said, this ties into some of the things that I did as a CPA. Probably three years ago, I took a real hard look at what was available in the market and realized I can help people save tax dollars, I can make their investments more robust, and I can help them overall. And I, I shifted from the independent broker-dealer that I was with at the time and started Dean's Consulting, which is a consulting firm that I travel and speak. And, and as I travel, I un- try to uncover neat things to help people. I go to different seminars, and some people go to seminars and sit in the back and fall asleep, and I go to seminars and sit in the front and take notes. That's the only way I got through college many years ago. So, Don, uh, I can definitely vouch for the fact that uh, you sit in the front and take notes because you talk about investments that even are new to me and uh, I'm sure others uh, in the uh, in the industry. So today we're going to talk about four investments, okay? And again, uh, for our listeners, this is an investment show, so that's what we're talking about today. Don't let it fool you that Don is a, a CPA, former practicing tax CPA. He knows what he's talking about, and he's going to talk about four different investment strategies. We're going to talk about micro-captive insurance companies, which are an, a wealth accumulation vehicle. Don't think that this is about starting a company to do insurance. We're going to talk about passive activity and ways to generate income through those. We're going to talk about oil and gas drilling partnerships, and we're going to talk about conservation easement syndicated opportunities here. So, Don, where do you want to start? Uh, Let's start with the um, intangible drilling costs with oil and gas drilling partnerships. Okay. Uh, That's one that has been with us 
oh my gosh, uh, the intangible drilling costs have been here since early 1900s. President Bush won. There are certain laws that got changed in 1986, 1988, and 1992 that made this very, uh, very favorable tax treatment for the individual investor if you're investing in a uh, drilling partnership, working interest in a drilling partnership. Uh, and I'm, I've invested in two of these uh, personally in 2010 and 2011. And I will use an example of someone invest $100,000 into a, into a drilling partnership. Uh, they will be able to deduct the uh, amount of the intangible drilling cost, which is r- roughly between 75 and 90 percent of the program based upon who the sponsor is. Um, and How quickly? Uh, they can do it in the year of investment. It has to be done in the first year. And for that 90, I'll use $90,000. If you had a 50% tax rate, you get a $45,000 tax benefit immediately. So, folks, you put $100,000 in, you get a $45,000 deduction. That's phenomenal. Now, then the question is, where do you, how do you get the other $55,000 of your investment back? And that is based upon the production of the drilling partnership that you've invested in. I thought I had just died and gone to heaven in 2010. I was a natural gas partnership. And, folks, here I am thinking, this is great. I think the first year I had a 26% return, and the, the next year it went down. And I don't know who keeps up with the price of natural gas and oil, but I do every day. And uh, last time I checked natural gas, which happened to be about 7.30 this morning Pacific time, it was $2.06. And $2.06, you're lucky to keep the doors open of the, of the drillers. Uh, oil got down in 24. 2324 uh this morning it was 43 and change um it's very difficult to pay distributions at those at those prices the tax benefits are there a lot of uh, people that sold these never told the end user that you get your money back based upon the profitability of the various wells you're investing in uh, a lot's going on in that industry as we all aware the bankruptcies and the, the due to the prices being down the bankruptcies of the various drillers but I do believe that it's going to be a huge thing in the future to keep an eye on. But anybody that wants to buy one of these, you need to take a hard look at the at the price of the commodity. You have to stress that price of commodity. It's a wonderful vehicle. It is really – I view this as helping make our country energy dependent, independent, and it's just done a wonderful job for the country. It's done a wonderful job for folks. We just need to keep an eye on that commodity price. Not commodity price today, but you don't know where it's going. I don't know where it's going. And with the, with the international, with Iran coming back online with oil – uh, Saudis uh, apparently are taking a part of a Ramco public next year. It's it's an interesting time. Yeah, no question about that. But what what you say is is uh, certainly accurate. They get a seventy seventy five, typically seventy five to ninety percent deduction. Yes, the first year. Yeah. which is very very valuable it, and. They, they come into the partnership, if they elect to come in as a general partner, they get that deduction against all types of income. And then they're converted to a limited partnership after that. Okay. So let's move on now to uh, another one. What do you want to talk about next? I want to touch on passive activity. Um, this is something uh, that was created uh, in 1986 when uh, those of you that are my age or older remember Remember the 10-to-1 write-offs, the 20-to-1 write-offs? Oh, my gosh, everybody just died and gone to heaven, and all of a sudden Congress said, 
we can't do this. We have to have some economic substance with with these write-offs. So they they changed. They created a, a classification of income, passive income, where the individual does not have any active role within running a business. There are certain exceptions with real estate professionals. There are certain exceptions with material with material activity, but. I had absolutely forgotten about passive activity. I went to a seminar last summer, and a gentleman was talking about passive activity. I took notes, sitting on the front row again, took notes, went back, reviewed it, looked at it, and realized that this is a wonderful opportunity for certain folks that have passive losses. In my CPE seminars last November, December, I asked the CPAs in the meeting, I said, how many of y'all have clients that have what is called suspended passive losses? What is a passive loss? A passive loss is a loss from an investment that you make where you do not have material participation. In other words, if you invested in real estate and and, and you get distributions from from that real estate investment, and then a real estate investment has trouble. Uh, if you invested in a limited partnership, if your next-door neighbor has a restaurant and he's putting together a limited partnership and you invest in that limited partnership where you have no material activity in that lim- in that restaurant, that is a passive activity. Um, passive, acti- passive losses uh, and passive gains are netted on the tax return on a form 85 80 folks i'm not trying to bore you 85 82 just bear with me 85 82 i went back to my personal return here i am a tax guy i got eleven thousand dollars in passive loss some suspended passive losses i looked at it this weekend and thought dang gone i didn't know i had that um and i think a lot of people don't understand this now the reason i think this is important is that for everybody who is listening who is an investor you go back and look at your return and if on Form 8582, if you have a loss carry forward, you can make an investment in a passive income generator, meaning a passive income as long as it is making money, and then you will be able to – that will be tax-free income to the extent of the loss carry forwards. If you have, like example, in my tax return, I've got $11,000 in, in carry forwards, and if I generate $11,000 – with a specific limited partnership, and uh, there are several that, that I'm aware of. Archon is one of them uh, G- that has 100% passive passive income from their from their investment. So you take if, if I invested 100,000 in Archon, their return is eight percent. I would get eight thousand dollars in tax free income, and my loss carry forward would go from eleven thousand minus eight thousand to three thousand for the next year so this is an opportunity for folks to be able to invest in passive income generators and there are several that i that i ha- i will invest in here in the next little bit because i didn't know i had losses until this weekend but i bet everybody everybody who thinks through this who's made an investment in a real estate limited partnership over the years uh yeah i bet you got some loss carry forwards and i bet you can use them to make your passive income tax-free okay and what what kind of investments are these that you're referring to the investments i'm referring to are limited partnerships and you can within the limited partnership if the distributions are from the limited partnership then that is a passive income if the distributions are partially if they take the money and invest it in a if they invest it in 
an interest-bearing account. Interest dividend income is called is called portfolio income, and that is not. You can be a so you need to look at who what what the limited partnership is invested in. Okay, and that's typically real estate type investments. Uh, this is a real estate investment. Uh, Archon buys single-family homes in suburban Memphis and suburban Cleveland. GPB, which is another company that I'm familiar with, invests in automobile dealerships. There, there are a lot, of, predominantly in automobile. It's a roll-up of automobile dealerships, and these these guys do it. That one is somewhere between 65 and 70 percent passive income. So, I mean, those are things that are available. And if those of you who may have a registered rep to work with, go back to your rep and say, hey, I need, I need, to, find, I need to find a passive income generator. And if the rep has trouble finding it, have them call me. And, Charles, we'll get that information at the end of the show. Okay. So you're, you're available to answer questions oh, and yes. to respond and be oh, yeah. helpful to people in Absolutely. regards to these things. Absolutely. Okay. Don, we need to take a short break. This, again, is fascinating stuff, the kind of stuff you typically not um, many investment advisors and CPAs and investors certainly are not aware of. We're talking with Don Deans of Deans Consulting out of Charlotte, North Carolina. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right, back to Charlie and his guest. And you got to slow down because I can't take notes this fast here. Thank you, Paul. None of us can here. Again, we're talking with Don Deans of Deans Consulting, a CPA who focuses on investing and investing opportunities that save in taxes. Or And so, Don, uh, you've been talking about uh, some investments that uh, are different, that, that don't fit everybody. Okay, so I presume when we talk about investing opportunities, you have to fit a certain slice of the population in order to be able to take advantage of these things, correct? These are, that's correct. We, the, everyone I'm talking about here is you have to be a credited investor. It means you have to have, I believe it's an, a net worth of over a million dollars exclusive of your personal residence. And if you're married, your income for the last three years has to be $300,000. So, okay. Yeah. That, so, you have to be accredited and you have to prove you're accredited uh, to, to be able to buy these. Right. Okay. So let's, uh, let's keep going. And again, you give continuing education presentations to CPAs about these and these types of things here. And, and uh, that's how we met at one of your presentations. And this is uh, this is fascinating stuff. So, what are we talking about next here? Uh, we're going to touch on captive insurance, and that's something that uh, I was telling Charlie that I was uh, on a panel in Huntington Beach yesterday and talking about these things. And there, there are very few people in the audience. It was a family office event, and very few people in the audience. Even th- just by looking at their stairs and by the business cards that I picked up at the end, 
really didn't have a grasp of some of these topics. But captive insurance uh, has been in has been used by Fortune 500 companies. Ninety percent of Fortune 500 companies have their own captives established, and it might be for uh, in automobile industry. It might be for warranties. It might be for maintenance. Uh, they establish their own their own insurance company uh, for that. And in early 2000, I believe it was 2001. Uh, the code section 831B was passed, and this was to be able to move the captive concept down to the smaller businesses. And what this enabled the smaller businesses to do is to is to get a deduction of up to $1.2 million on an annual basis, and that moves up to $2.2 million next year. Congress amended that up to $2.2 million next year. Um, and to do this... It, it's it's not an easy process to go through. Uh, you have to have a uh, feasibility study done. You have to actuaries involved. They have to identify insurable risk in your business. Some of these risks may be part of your property and casualty insurance right now. Some might be self-insured that you're insuring uh, uh, that you don't even think you're insuring. You just pay you just pay a check and pay for something. And, but the actuary is defined based upon the, the, the insurable risk in your business. The report comes back to, um, to the company, and from that report, you're able to establish your company and a domicile of the company. Uh, there are like 38 states that do this. Uh, three, maybe, maybe eight years ago, there were like 12 states, it's up to 38 states that do this. And what are the benefits of doing it here? Doc? The benefits of doing it are that you're able to have a $1.2 million, up to a $1.2 million deduction um, from your business. And that one point up to one point two million dollars goes in uh, into your insurance company that you've established. As uh, it goes in, and you don't pick it up in taxable income at that level. Um, it's it's a wonderful vehicle for tax deferral. It goes into the insurance company, and the insurance company from that will pay whatever uh, whatever whatever claims are are processed against them. So. Uh, and it's like 1.2 million, up to 1.2 million every year. And in your insurance company, you need to keep certain things liquid to pay claims. And then outside of that, you're able to make investments with those other items. Okay, so this is 1.2 million dollars that a business sets up. This is a corporation. Yes. That sets this up, and they set it up for. Viable risks. These are real risks. Real risk. You can't. It, there have been what I call promoters, Charlie, uh, that have done this without going through the feasibility study. Uh, there are no real risks. Um, they made risk up um, after 2001. Everybody had terrorism risk. And I want to tell you, you know, <laughs> here we are in 2016, and I'm not trying to discount terrorism, but, I mean, you can't have to, you know, if you're in Omaha, Nebraska, terrorism is not a real high priority. If you're in New York, it might be. You know, I, I don't, but, but everybody, there were promoters that have pushed the limit, pushed the envelope, uh, the companies that we work with to do this, to set it up, really stand up under IRS scrutiny. Okay. And this is one of the things that IRS – this is on what uh, – y'all may – if any CPAs list and you know what the dirty dozen is, the IRS takes a look at it. This is part of the dirty dozen. Now, I'll just tell you right up front. If, but if it's done properly and all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, it's a great vehicle 
it's a great vehicle for to, to be able to get the one, to $1.2 million deduction on an annual basis. And it's also a great vehicle to be able to to be able to invest in your company, in your insurance company. Yeah. Okay. So let's say some, but, but somebody's taking on risk here to do that. Yes. Let's say that that risk was worth taking on. Let's say they put in $1.2 million in the company, where five years later they put in $1.2 million each year. Okay, so they've put in $6 million. And let's say there's now $4 million in that account. Is that a reasonable thing? Probably. Yes, okay, sir. Okay. What's the exit strategy? How can this do them any good here? You, you can, when you terminate the insurance companies and the, my associate has terminated several of them, uh, that money comes out of capital gains rates. Okay. So it goes in tax deferred. Uh, it goes in. It goes in uh, the deduction at the corporate yeah. level is at ordinary income rates, and on the on the exit is at capital gains rates. So you're playing okay. the arbitrage between the tax rates. Okay, and it comes out to the corporation. It comes out to the owners, correct? Okay. Which are typically the owners of the corporation. Okay. Uh, the there the government that the Congress closed a loophole in December, where this used to be an estate planning opportunity, where like if Charlie, you and I are not twenty two years old anymore, but if we had a company and we and, and we've set set. Out of our company, we put our children in as the owners of the of the of the captive. It was a great estate planning tool, but Congress limited the ownership structures of that to to try to close that loop. That that was a wonderful. That's what some of the promoters were doing. Okay, yeah. so who should consider this? Someone that has a steady cash flow, and uh, somebody that makes widgets that has a steady cash flow. Somebody in the professional service industry that has a steady cash flow. I was with a uh, president of a broker dealer up in Los Angeles last week and he was he had all kind of ideas how this might pertain to his business, things I hadn't thought of. So we're going to go back and Dennis Hayes, my associate and I are going to go back and put together a like an overview of, for him as to how this might benefit his business. Um, but but you have to have consistent cash flow. Um, it, there was a group that I worked with on Long Island, and after the Hurricane Sandy came through, uh, I guess four or five years ago, uh, devastated the East Coast. But there was a group on Long Island that made an absolute fortune cleaning things up, cutting trees up, cleaning things up. Well, the promoter came to them with a captive insurance idea. Well, they had one big year, and and if you just do one year and there's no consistency, then that's tax avoidance, and you've got a real problem. And I don't know who did, but they came to some of the guys I work with there, and what do we do now? <laughs> and so we referred that out to out to council to try to figure out how to extract them from the issue they were in. But it has to be a company that has a consistent cash flow, um, and you you guys and gals understand how much money you make, and if you can afford a $1.2 million deduction cash going into your insurance company, it would be a great be- great benefit. Great benefit for it. Okay. And do they have to do 1.2? The, up to 1.2. Up to. So they can do the, the average. Less. The average I've seen, when, you don't know what it's going to be until the feasibility study is completed. The average I've seen is somewhere between eight and 900000 Okay. Because okay. you just don't know what the, what the insurable risk could be. Yeah. Okay. So I had heard of captive insurance companies for some time, but uh, was unaware of that particular opportunity there. So let's talk about the fourth one. The fourth one. <laughs> is is near and dear to Don Deans' heart, and uh, and that's conservation easements. Um, 
the conservation easements uh, were placed into law in the Internal Revenue Code in 1980. They've been around a long time. <clears throat> um, and the way I had always understood them uh, was that if someone had land uh, that they wanted to gift a land right of, in other words, if somebody had land uh, in suburban Atlanta and it was a farm and it was a family farm, and the owners of this farm wanted to keep it in the family forever and ever. They did not want any development. Development was all around them. They could gift the development rights to a to a nonprofit, a qualifying organization. <clears throat> that qualified organization can't be your sister and your brother. And it can't be. It has to be a legitimate qualifying organization, and it has to be a legitimate or or a governmental entity. And once you make that gift, it's forever. It's in. It's forever. You can't back off. Um, I'm working with a family in Savannah, Georgia, and the the parents are in their 80s and their four children, and they're really hung up on the perpetuities because it's forever and it goes on the deed. The deed is registered, and you cannot you cannot develop that land forever. So it's a huge decision for people to make when you have your own land. Uh, the biggest uh, landowners in the United States are John Malone and Ted Turner, and guess what? They're the biggest conservation easement holders also. Uh, this is a wonderful way in the private sector to be able to preserve land from uh, and make keep it green. Uh, there are four criteria that the IRS has that you, you have to be available for natural resources and habitat and uh, education, and it's a wonderful vehicle without – all of us having to write a check to add to the natural to the national parks or state parks or things of that nature. And how does this benefit an investor? Um, invented, the investor has benefited uh, in that, I'm guessing, five years ago, there were people that wanted to liquidate their position in certain land holdings. And they came to people that do conservation easements and said, we would like to be out of this. So According to the regulations, if someone wants to liquidate their land via a conservation easement, then they're able to do so. The, the, the appraisals have to be done on this land, and it has to be the highest and best use of the land. Uh, I was on the phone yesterday with some guys in Illinois who have 300 acres of land with coal under the land. Now, for them to be able to have a conservation easement on that, we have to have the highest and best use, which would be the coal mining operation. And to do that, you have to determine what it's going to take to mine that coal, what the price of the coal is as revenue, what it takes to mine the coal, and what the in, what the income is at the bottom. And then you take in the absorption rate throughout 20 years, discount that back to present value, and that's the amount of the deduction. You're losing is done. I probably am, <laughs> I, I, but but uh, I'm trying to go so over. So how does this help an investor? I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to go over some technicalities before I get into that. It invests. It, it, the, these these partner these LLCs are set up in such a way that you're able to buy an interest in the LLC. You're not buying the tax your tax deduction. This is a non-cash charitable contribution. You're buying the interest in the LLC. The interest in the LLC, then as an owner of this land, you vote on whether you want to do the development plan, which I was referring to about the coal, you, uh, you or there was a Home Depot site in Atlanta last year that we used, or you, you, you want to have the conservation easement, or you just leave the land the way it is. 
the difference between what the landowner wants and what the appraisals are typically 4.5. The You take the appraisal divided by 4.5. That's what the landowner and net of expenses is going to receive. And you as an investor, and I'll go through the numbers now, if somebody invested $100,000, they would get a $450,000 deduction. Remember that 4.5 factor I've talked about. And then if they were at the highest tax rate, Outside of Orange County, which is 50%, I can't do 57 here, but anyway, 50%, they get a $225,000 tax benefit. So you invest $100,000, and the deduction that you get, okay, is $450,000. Correct. And the IRS knows about this. IRS knows about it. You're gonna, there's, there's a high probability you're going to get that the, the LLC will be audited. That's why we have to do it right. That's why there's an IRS audit guide. There's 68 pages on how to do an appraisal, a highest and best use appraisal. Now, I was talking about that coal. you got to build a coal. You, you have to build a model in, of how to mine the coal. Um, the Home Depot I was telling you about in Atlanta, you, you had to, is it zoned, this, this track, is this zoned commercial? In Atlanta, for the home, for, and zone commercial number one, and number two, is this going to make sense? Is it profitable? Because you can't gift anything that's not profitable. So, is it profitable? So they did the demographics in the area, and it supported a Home Depot store. The owner of this land then gifted the commercial use to a qualifying organization, and you you have to do it right. If it's done right, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, we we tell folks that you're going to get audited and just be ready. Not you personally, but the LLC will be. There's a chance of being audited, um, but it's an absolutely wonderful vehicle. And for, these are done on a syndicated basis. Th- these are done in a uh, these are done in LLC, correct? Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that that is fascinating, and I haven't heard those kind of things again since uh, before Tax Reform Act '86 was passed. Here. And I'm sorry to get off on that tangent about building, but I had to go through that, folks. It's just now you're not buying a tax deduction; you're buying right. part of part of part of the land. Gotcha. It's just a very unique deduction here. So, Don, again, and those are four. I know you have more. That's all we have time to talk about today. We hope to have you back at another time to talk about more. Just very, very interesting stuff. Again, doesn't fit every. Everybody fits only a few uh, situations, but for those who uh, have the right situation, these can be uh, godsend opportunities here. So tell us, Don, a question we ask everybody. What keeps you awake at night? My six children and five grandchildren. (laughs) (laughs) What keeps me awake at night? We are are so blessed to be living in the United States of America, which is absolutely the most wonderful country in the history of mankind. And I think at times we're much too hard on our country, and we need to look at the positives. And I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, why are people doing this? And I'm not being political. I mean, on both sides of the aisle, why is this happening? And uh, But we are so blessed. That's what keeps me awake, the future of where we're going and are my children and my grandchildren, my five grandbabies that, oh, by the way, I'll be hanging out with tomorrow, folks. But anyway, what, what are they going to be involved with in the future? Yeah. And that's what that's, that's what keeps me awake at night. Yeah. And then, um, not keeping me awake, but what I spend a lot of time with this little thing called an iPhone, reading and looking, and I don't know how I did without it. And, uh, and, and I get in, for example, at this conference yesterday in um, Huntington Beach, I went through and listened to what other people said, took notes, and and 
went and got a bowl of soup for dinner and went to my hotel room and kind of Googled around until I got some answers. And that's how I came up with this passive thing, a passive idea. Um, I talked to an attorney here in Orange County about it. And he goes, he goes, I used to teach that. And I said, when? He said, 1987. I said, when's the last time you thought about it? He's laughed. It's probably 1987. But nobody thinks about these things. So yeah. that's why I think it's there. But uh, yeah. Thank you. And, Don, a second question we'd like to ask all of our guests is, what book on investing would you recommend to our listeners? I would highly recommend, this is not investing per se. I have a friendship and a relationship with Fran Tarkington, who, former NFL All-Pro TV host. Fran has been dramatically successful in everything he's touched. He has. Um, He wrote a book on failure. And this most remarkable book that I think I've ever read, Fran Tarkin and book on failure, because he said for he has to go through so many failures before he has the success. And the point here, folks, is that you don't have to be good at everything. And and if you if you get your knees if you get your knees bloodied and you know get you you know just get up and go at it again and Fran said just keep going he's he's one of the most amazing guys and I am so blessed to be able to be in his world and work with him. Well, you are you are and I've seen him speak and he indeed is a uh, a very impressive man and been a very successful man in the world of business besides being uh, scat back quarterback okay <laughs> uh, in in the investment world he's been very very is, successful. In, in the National Football League Hall of Fame, and my, I, I introduced him one time at a conference, and I said, everybody knows him as a football player. That's just secondary, folks. What this guy has done since he left the league is is beyond comprehension. It is. It and is. He just, but, but get that book on failure because okay. that is a wonderful read. Don, thank you very much. So, Don, people want to get a hold of you. How do they do that? Uh, my email address is ddeans at deansconsulting.net. You need to spell deans for us. D D E A N S at D E A N S C O N S U L T I N G dot net. And by the way, folks, call me. I travel. I'm on the phone all the time. Uh, 704-575-7937. Okay. And, and uh, you should get lots of calls from our listeners who are CPAs, uh, broker dealers, etc., investment people, and investors on uh, these these things. So, Don, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been a delight. You remind me of my relatives in Alabama. Love your folksiness, your accent, etc. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Charlie. Great being here. Thank you. So, again, we've been talking with Don Deans, Deans Consulting, a CPA-focused uh, on investing opportunities and the tax benefits of certain investing opportunities out of Charlotte, North Carolina, who speaks throughout the country doing continuing education presentations for CPAs. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you're not hearing elsewhere. And again, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com. This is Charlie Wright wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science.